When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This is the Project Upland Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we're talking traveling, wing shooting, southeastern upland hunting, and much more with Josh and Leslie Moore. Welcome to the show for episode number 148. Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, CZ USA, Garmin, Sage and Breaker, and Dakota 283. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. We've got a good one for you today. I'm going to try to keep this intro pretty brief because I am recording this on August 29th, which is now two days beyond the due date of the little one my wife and I are expecting. So getting anxious over here, but very excited and hopefully we will have some good news very soon. So with that said, I just want to mention a couple things. Onyx Hunt, forgot to mention this last week, great partner of ours, phenomenal, phenomenal tool. I've been using it for years and I've said it before on this podcast, the thing that I love about Onyx Hunt is they are working to make it better and better every single day, every single year. And the speed with which they're able to improve the platform and add things into it is incredible. This year specifically, many of you may have heard if you've been paying attention or maybe you got a trip plan there, North Dakota has had an update to their trespass laws this year in that landowners were given a window of time to 
post their lands electronically. Historically, they had to go out in the field, put up signs, post everything. And if something wasn't posted but was private land, you could hunt it. So there have been some updates. Tyler Webster has talked about them a little bit on the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. I'm not going to get into the specifics here, but what I want to tell you about is that Onyx worked super hard on a very short timeline to create the new North Dakota electronically posted lands layer. It's in the app. It works. And at this point, would we expect anything less of Onyx? I don't think so. Very cool to see this in there. This is going to be so handy when you're in the field. If you are hunting North Dakota, you can get in there right now. You can look at some of your old spots. I went and checked pretty much all of the spots that I've hunted there over the past three years. And lucky for me, not many of them are posted electronically. Now I could still show up there and find signs on the fence post, which would mean I can't hunt it. But as of right now, a lot of the spots that I have historically hunted are looking good. And you can check that on the layer. I will give you one tip because I had to ask Ben Bredigan of Onyx this right away. If you turn on that electronically posted lands layer and start looking around North Dakota, you're not going to see it until you zoom in pretty close. Talking to Ben, Onyx, they're always protecting the visual aesthetic of the map. They don't want it to get too cluttered and have too many things on the map. So that electronically posted lands layer, you turn it on, you won't see it until you zoom in pretty close on the piece of property. If you're looking at a specific property, which actually makes sense for the purpose of this tool, you're checking out an individual property, you zoom right in and boom, it'll pop up and it will say electronically posted. So bravo to Onyx for working super quickly and efficiently to get that layer into the system and also props to the North Dakota Game and Fish or whichever agency it was North Dakota to make that available to Onyx. I think that's a really cool example of Onyx working with state agencies to ultimately enable us as hunters to make more educated and properly informed decisions in the field. Just a good deal all around. Check that out if you got Onyx and you're headed to North Dakota this year. All right, another plug for the Upland Institute training. I've been talking about it the last couple of weeks. Video dog training series from Just McGrail and Ron Bame or at uplandinstitute.com. I got my pup Rose successfully transitioned from the woe post to the flank collar. We've been running in the field with that for a couple of weeks now, two or three weeks. And we had a couple wild bird contacts where I was able to successfully correct Rose on that. And in the last few days, actually the last three times we've been out, Rose has had five different grouse finds, a few singles and one brood of at least four grouse. And I think I've had one correction in there, but the other finds were steady. So we're making really, really good progress. Me and my pup, the videos were helpful to me as I made this transition. I mean, I know a thing or two about dog training, but let's be honest, I, I could use a lot of reminders and a lot of help and I've gotten that. And these videos are another tool in the toolbox of us amateur dog trainers. So if you think you're interested in something like that, I would encourage you to check these out. Listen to the Justin McGrail episodes on Ron Bame's podcast. You get a real good feel for the kind of training and the kinds of things you're going to learn about. And check out these videos at uplandinstitute.com. All right, you got a couple days left to save 75 bucks on a pair of Goki boots. That's your thing. Use the code UPLAND21. That's UPLAND21 to save 75 bucks on a pair of Goki boots. And we've slowly been getting more and more entries for the Garmin Zero S1 giveaway. Recall that from the last couple of weeks. Garmin donated a Garmin Zero S1 trap shooting trainer to the podcast. We gave it away to a listener. He tried it. It ultimately wasn't that valuable to him. 
So he donated it back to the podcast, and we are giving that away to a youth shooting group. All you have to do to enter is send me an email at nick.larson at Northwoods Collective. Tell me a little bit about the shooting group and why it would be valuable for that particular group. We appreciate all the entries. We wish we could give one away to everybody that sent me an email, but we've only got one, and we're going to make sure it goes to somebody that can use it, and it will benefit a whole bunch of youth shooters. So thanks again to Garmin for that, and to our listener, Gary. Appreciate it. And finally, before we jump into the episode, this is the last episode in August, which means September's right around the corner. Hunting season is getting started. I got friends hitting the road already. A bunch of people are going to get out. I am staying home for now until this baby shows up, but I am hopeful to get out into the uplands as soon as I can in September. We'll see how that goes. I can't wait. want to wish everybody the best of luck on their openers or first hunts of the year. Fall is pretty much here, depending on when you're listening to this. I know we're all excited for it. As far as the podcast goes, the new name for the show has been selected. It was suggested to me by a friend. I got so many recommendations from listeners and people hitting me up on my Instagram account and sending me emails. I cannot thank each and every one of you enough for helping me, sending me your regards and telling me how much you love the podcast and how much you enjoy listening. I really, really appreciate it. And like I said before, I I, I can't thank you enough. I promise you that I'm going to keep bringing these podcasts to you as long as you keep listening to it and telling me you like it. I'm always open to your comments and suggestions and ways to improve. I really, really appreciate it. We've got the new name picked out. I'm going to keep it under wraps for a little bit. We're working on stuff, website and artwork and all that fun stuff. And oh, by the way, I got a baby on the way. I don't know 100% when the podcast is going to launch under the new name. My goal is September. Will it be the next episode? I'm not sure. I don't want to keep you all waiting too long for another episode. So bear with me for a few more shows here if need be. But the new name and the new podcast is coming very, very soon. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Thank you for your continued support. And we are going to jump into today's episode with Josh and Leslie Moore of the Wing Addiction Podcast. You may know them if you are a frequent listener to the Upland Podcast circuit. I've gotten to know Josh a little bit over the last year. We share a mutual passion for grouse hunting and all things Upland, really. I was on their podcast a month or two ago, and I wanted to have Josh and Leslie on to learn a little bit more about them share some of their story with my listeners. And we had a really fun conversation talking about Southeastern upland hunting, some of the traveling wing shooting that those two do, some funny stories, Leslie's first pheasant, a whole bunch of other stuff. Hope you enjoy this one. With all that said, let's welcome into the conversation and onto the podcast, Josh and Leslie Moore. Josh and Leslie. Welcome to the show. Good Thanks. morning. Hi. Good, great, great to be here. Thanks for having us, Nick. Is it raining down there in Tennessee? It's sunny and it's it's eighty five and feels like one hundred and seventy. Mm. <laughs> humid, hot, ninety six percent humidity. Home of swamp butt. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty hot. We've we've actually cooled off in the last couple of days. We're getting some rain, which man, we got a wildfire burning to the north of us here. It's Really? Pretty big. Yeah, it's it's it started like 10 plus days ago and Greenwood Lake fire. It started on a Sunday afternoon. It was super hot, really breezy, kind of the perfect day for a fire to start and it honestly kind of I say like puttered along for a week. It was like 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 acres and then a few days ago it blew up and it was over 10 and 
I, wow. I heard I heard somebody say thirty thousand acres yesterday. I don't know if that's accurate, Holy but it's smokes. it's big, yeah. And it was like zero percent contained, so yeah, pretty wild. We had we had very very smoky hazy conditions here yesterday morning, like the most I had ever seen or smelled. Just walking outside my door, it was pretty wild. But um, wow, we're supposed to get some rain. I don't know how much is going to move to the north, but hopefully, uh, hopefully they get that because I know they had lost some cabins. I think property damage was. It's been. I mean, it's a remote area. You know, it's mm-hmm. a lot of lot of woods, so it's a lot of trees that are burning and not as many cabins. But I mean, at this point, there's there's people property getting damaged and yeah, wow, got to be got to be contained. Well, in this time of year, resources become pretty limited because there's so many fires too. So um, that's a big one for your area. Yeah, yeah. I've actually had a hard time trying to. I would think there'd be news news reports about it all over the place, and I've kind of had a hard time finding stuff but i know they were waiting early on there was firefighters out west working on stuff and they were waiting for them to come in now i think they've got a lot of people here because of the significance of it all but we'll have to do a little recap on that yeah well leslie leslie's son my stepson you know he's a wildlands firefighter out west so oh really the owner's yeah, chance he's been they... on the same fire for almost a month now the antelope butte fire in northern california i don't even know what the acreage is on it i mean i don't think it's growing or anything but he hasn't been able to leave i mean he hasn't had a day off and i don't even know when so yeah i talked to him well i talked to him all the time but i talked to him the other day and i was like so you haven't had a day off and you're 19 years old (laughs) i'm like (laughs) pretty proud of you that, that you're still showing up for work but he takes his job seriously and he likes it so that's good one of my bosses was just calling me josh the guy that you're going to be talking to later today dan (laughs) yeah dan from upland gun company i guess i don't i don't know if i should call him my boss or if i should call him my client i am self-employed but (laughs) yeah or maybe you're yeah you're you're parallel i guess yeah i look up to him as a boss he's uh he's been in the game for a long time and he's uh he's a mentor so I call Dude, I'm boss. telling you, that's Dan and his wife Carla are two of the nicest people. Carla yeah. is the sweetest person ever. Yeah, we had a great time with them at the um, Quail Forever banquet in Knoxville, and she just seemed so excited to be there, which was nice. And they got a puppy out of the deal. I guess. <laughs> I was going to say we're, we're probably going to have to tell that story before we'll jump into that very quickly. But let's. I'm getting ahead of myself here, of course. Let's let's have you guys introduce yourselves, Josh and Leslie. Yeah, well, we're uh, Leslie and I uh, are the host of the Wing Addiction Podcast. Uh, Wing Addiction Podcast is just like the Upland Project Upland Podcast can be found everywhere. We uh, we're just two bird hunters that uh, enjoy bird hunting and bringing our stories to to everyone. And it, we travel a lot, as you know, Nick. I mean, if if we bird hunt, unless we're just making a local grouse run, which is normally not real productive. Um, you know, we're, we're in the truck for, you know, a thousand miles of time, it seems like. So it's, uh, our bird dogs has probably got as many miles on them as a lot of bird dogs in the country does, but we've been podcasting now for a year. I think mm-hmm. this month makes a year yeah. for us. Yeah. And we, we've, we've also, Nick, we've just been married a year. Oh, so congrats. yeah, this coming, this coming weekend, which August the 28th is, uh, actually today's the 27th. Holy it's smokes. Tomorrow. Our tomorrow. anniversary. We tomorrow. have plans. We got. We're going to the. Guess what we're going to do for our um, anniversary, Nick? What? Tell me. We're going to prison. Wow. We are. We're going to a, a tour. 
<laughs> we, we actually we there's a state there's a state prison next to us that was shut down, and uh, they've Brushy turned it into Mountain. yep Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. It's actually world. It's it's very large penitentiary. But anyways, they shut it down and made a concert venue out of it, and they also do tours of the prison. But we're going to go watch Brothers Osborne tomorrow night at the. Uh, uh, at the Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, so no oh, better place cool. to take your wife for anniversary than jail. I don't. Care. <laughs> I think there's a joke in there somewhere about Leslie trying to kind of get you acclimated to the place, but I I can't figure it out on the fly. <laughs> well, Old Crow Medicine Show has a, a has a song Brushy Mountain Conjugal Trailer. You'll have to take a listen to that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you like Old Crow Medicine Show, go check that out. But no, uh, Leslie and I. I we just, like I said, we're just bird hunters that uh, enjoy traveling. We've got to travel, and, and we like to talk. There's never a dull moment with Leslie or I. I mean, we'll talk to the bedroom closet or whatever wants to hear, but um, <laughs> we do. And we thought uh, no better way to uh, let people listen to how crazy we are than podcasts. So uh, uh, as far as a personal, uh, I guess you would call it my personal status, I've uh, been a bird hunter all my life, grew up with a, with bird dogs, uh, my grandfather and my father used to take me bird hunting. I mean, I, re- I can remember going bird hunting. Well, my dad carried me on his shoulders. I can't remember it, but the stories go. He carried me, you know, when I was little on his shoulders. But I grew up hunting setters, much like yourself. Um, I thought that was the only bird dog on the planet. You know, I thought Jesus made uh, <laughs> setters and then other dogs. So I grew up with setters and uh, had setters until about, oh, geez, I don't know, probably – Three two three years ago, and then I, I went to GSPs and uh, and wirehires. We're just kind of the continental breed now. Leslie's been a GSP person for a long time, but uh, yeah, I just grew up in the in, in the uplands, and um, I grew up on the Tennessee River, and we hunted a lot of Tennessee River bottoms that used to be very very productive for quail. And um, yeah, so that's a little about me and what I grew up doing. So I I, I guess you would call me an adult onset hunter. Um, I grew up. You know, my family hunted and everything. My mom and my dad bow hunted. They hunted deer mainly. But there was nothing really that appealing to me about sitting in a tree stand and being still, especially in like the pouring rain and stuff. So um, I really Did you grow up in Tennessee, Leslie? Yes. So I grew up in East Tennessee. Uh, My dad and, well, my family, they always went to Middle Tennessee and hunted and and I, ju- I just really never got into it until um, I moved out west. So I was yeah. about 28 years old when I moved away and moved out west. And, Boy, that um, was a long time yeah, ago. I'm aging myself now. <laughs> <laughs> what was I uh, so then I moved out west, um, and it was completely different. I mean, um, I just way different big game hunting out west. And yeah. so um, I really got into it with my kids i wanted them to know um how to hunt and how to process their own meat and things like that and so we really just kind of went for it together and um because i was a single parent most of that time and so we really got into it but then i spent a lot of time um at work you know doing sage grouse lake counts and working on the sage grouse initiative and stuff it just never really occurred to me to be a bird hunter at any point until i got a german short hair pointer and uh, you know once you start seeing them i mean he would point at everything and i just thought it was the cutest thing ever and then it was just like wait a minute like he has a natural instinct there's something he's really wanting to do with this you know and then that's kind of how josh and i 
we were even brought together by dogs, I kind of feel like. And so, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's that's why Josh has short hairs now. <laughs> and so that's kind of... Actually, you know, I had, you, I had just got a short hair probably about four or five months before Leslie. No, you hadn't even gotten her yet, but you, you had, had talked to him. You yeah, had that's went, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you had talked to him. You may have even gone to visit him, but you hadn't... Yeah. You hadn't picked her up yet. But anyway, so um, for me, I'm pretty new. I'm very new, actually, to um, bird hunting. and uh, But I love it so much. I really haven't spent... I think I went one, one day I went deer hunting, and I just... I was like, eh. Now, this year, though, I do plan on killing a deer or two because I want meat in the freezer. But other than yeah. that, like, I'm She's going to have like, to hire a tour guy or a, a guy to take. I am now fully addicted to <laughs> pheasant and quail. And uh, yeah. one day I'll get good enough to hit a grouse, hopefully. But, <laughs> but hey, happen. I feel I keep I feel much better when I watch videos of other people hunting grouse because like we just watched one yesterday and this chick swings her gun up and shoots from the hip, you know, and and I was like, All right, there we go because I kept saying last year in the UP that I was Annie Oakley the whole time we were there, but but yeah, I just love it and so I mean I I do think that this is a new lifelong passion for sure and the podcast just makes it even more fun and it makes it feel like yeah. I've been doing it even longer than I have. Yeah. Talk to me about your your work a little bit Leslie at the Sage Girls. I mean I've heard about that, you know, I've been listening to your show so I've kind of got some of your background but how did you find yourself in kind of like the natural resource profession? So um I I decided to go back to college when I moved out West. And, um, I didn't know what, I, I mean, I had small children, so I thought, well, maybe I'll be a school teacher. Cause then we'll have like the same schedule and that would just make my life easy. Sure. Um, then it was just one biology class and I was like, no, I know exactly what I need to do. And I got really lucky. Um, I, you know, I got an opportunity just offered up to me to go work for the park service at Lava Beds National Monument. And so I started working while I was still pursuing my degree. And so those two things went hand in hand and just, it just kind of kept opening up more and more avenues to, to different things in the natural resources and land management realm. And so I've, I worked a lot in botany and um, eventually w- moved into um, a natural resource specialist position in Wyoming, where I was a soil specialist and an invasive species specialist. And while that really doesn't seem like it's a much of a, it's not really a wildlife position. You know, we have wildlife biologists for sure. for those specific jobs, but all of it's so connected. And um, anytime that you do any kind of assessment of public land health um you look at all the facets and all the things involved and you know so it's not just about wildlife it's not just about range it's not just about the soil health or or about fire management um every single one of those things are intertwined and so um i feel really fortunate to have worked in some really beautiful places with um with very high level um wildlife issues and concerns um i I worked in pinedale wyoming where they have the largest mule deer migration and of course sage grouse 
And yeah. and so um, there for a while, it seemed like people were frustrated and they, they called it s- single species management because everything was about the sage grouse. But I'm really thankful that I was able to be involved during that that time before the decision came out whether or not to list the bird because I saw some really intensive on the ground work and I was a part of some really intensive on the ground work where we were doing everything we could to try to save this bird and make sure that, um, you know, there would be opportunities for future generations to enjoy it, whether they hunted or, or not. And, um, and so I, like I said, it never occurred to me to hunt them, <laughs> just not because I was worried about killing them or anything, because I am a hunter, but yeah. just because it wasn't, it wasn't anything that I'd ever done before. And now I'm like, what? Like I've literally had sage grouse at my feet. <laughs> and now yeah. I bet that if I tried to go out and kill one, it would be a very daunting task. Yeah, I was asking her about when she was doing her late counts because I'd never seen them do a late count or something or nothing yeah. like that. And I've never hunted sage grouse yet, not yet. But I was, I was, how close did you get to them? She says, when they're doing their late count or when they're doing their dancing, they'll come right up to you, you know, like a, wow. you know, like a yard chicken. She said, you get two or three feet from them. They pay no attention to you. the males. Now the females, the ma- they, they get the heck out of Dodge as soon as you pull up. So like a lot of times you're counting them as they're flying away and just trying to do the best you can. And that's the numbers that matter the most, but the males are just so hyper-focused <laughs> on yeah. one task. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, they're just drumming all over the place. And I mean, they literally will, I mean, you could stand right next to it and I mean, he doesn't even care. He's just doing his thing. And so, um, I've got some neat videos I should post, um, from those yeah, days. Should. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it, it was just really cool. So I've been really lucky. Um, now I'm back home and, you know, obviously completely, like it's like a different world here versus yeah. out West. Yeah. And, um, I'm really fortunate though, that I'm back into conservation efforts and I'm working for NRCS now. Oh, and great. so, um, it's a brand new world for me in a lot of ways, but then at the same time, um, it's a lot of the same concepts and I'm, so I'm hoping to get really involved in like CSP and, CRP. And CRP, they're two different things. Oh, okay. And um, and like, I was going to ask, <laughs> what, working, what is CSP? Do you know? Um, oh man, you're putting me on the spot. I'm trying to we remember. Can, we now. can look it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, it's basically it's a, the same kind of it's a program that we use here when we're helping private landowners get funds to um, do certain projects on their land. And it's the one pro the one funding pot that we use in terms of like helping people um, plant buffer zones around their fence rows and stop cleaning out fence rows and things like that. And so, so it is the more wildlife focused management effort from the NRCS over in these parts, because we don't have, you know, it's different here. I mean, you have lot smaller land tracks for a lot of private land, land obviously. Yeah, yep. private land, not a lot of intermixed um, public access and stuff. So um, here, the focus is really working on helping people, um, you know, plant, you know, native warm season grasses and, um, you know, not clean those fence rows out, but in yeah. fact, like create those buffers. So, yeah. 
Before we leave the sage grouse thing, I was just curious, when you're going to those leks to do the counts, were you, for the most part, going to historical known lek locations, or did you have a method of finding new leks or anything like that? Um, so it is basically historic lek counts. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you have old data. Every year you go back to those leks and you count, and um, some of them, you visit for three years, and I think after three years, that's when you say it's no longer a lick anymore. If nothing, if there's shows no up. birds coming back, yeah, gotcha. yeah. But um, then there are new ones reported. Um, it's not. Um, I, I was never involved in any surveying for like new licks, but I imagine the way that we manage it, it wouldn't be hard. Like. I mean, if you found an area, like, I mean, it's pretty easy to see when they've been there. And once you so know what you're looking it for. It would be reported. Yeah. yeah, once you know what you're looking for, like, you yeah. can, yeah. And so um, I think that's the thing, too, about um, the different land management agencies. And like I was talking about, I'm not a wildlife biologist, but all of the different disciplines are so intertwined. And so anytime someone, you know, you might have, um, someone out on the field doing um, rangeland health assessments or or doing some kind of compliance check, and they may notice something like that. They may see an area that they believe to be a, a sage-grouse lake area, and then they would report that, and then the wildlife biologist would then determine whether that was new or old yeah. or, you know, and so. But, yeah, it's it, it basically, we would have so many of them, though, that it was like a whole field office effort. And they would say, okay, who can who can go do this, you know? And so you'd have to show up at work 4 o'clock in the morning, we'd team up, we'd drive out. And so you had anybody. I mean, we had people that were administrative who were volunteering to go out and do these lake counts because there's such a short window of opportunity to get on the ground and go go check on those birds. And so, so yeah, it was a pretty big effort every year. And it was so much fun, though. Yeah. Everybody, it wasn't hard to get a bunch of people together to go do it. Yeah, there we don't have. You know, we obviously don't have sage grouse here, but we do have sharp tails here, and they, you know, have lacking lacking behavior. And it's one of those things where, you know, I will hear even people that like they're not bird hunters at all. I'll I'll overhear a conversation or talk to somebody about how they went to sit in a blind and watch the sharp tail. Like you know, it's just one of those things. To, Amazing things that that nature, you know, displays for us. I have yet to go to a sharp tail like I, I want to. On the sage grouse stuff, we don't need to dive into all the specifics and details. But it's like when you're counting a lek, would you go to back to that lek for a certain period of days? Do you go for one day, or what does the window look like? It's just one day, and okay. so you would you just show up and you try to be really quiet. You get there before sunrise, and yep. then you as soon as it's light enough to even start to see and tell the sex you just start counting gotcha. and um yeah and you try to count both males and females but for whatever reason the wildlife biologists want the female counts more than more so than the male counts so um so yeah what was like um, what was like the most number of sage grouse you'd see on a lack that you recall um i think the most females that i counted the when i think back to the largest lek i was on i think we kind of like 50 something females on and i mean they're not yeah and then there's some legs that are really small um but that was one of the first ones i ever went to and 
that in fact was the one that I had. I mean, I could have reached out and touched this bird. Like <laughs> he was just drumming. I mean, there were so many of them and they were just like all over the place. It was a huge lake in a very, very beautiful area of Wyoming. And another um, restriction, another constraint to like getting out and doing the lake counts too is um, that bent night clay mud out there. I mean, if it's wet at all, oh, yeah. like you can't yeah. drive. And so the gumbo, um, right? Oh, yeah, it's terrible. I mean, there were times we would have people go out in the field and then a big rain would come and they would just have to leave the truck for days. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, yeah, I think about 50 something is the most I've seen. Yeah. Oh, that's that's very cool. I know the the I actually was just reading an article last week, the sharp tails in this part of the world, kind of the non prairie sharp tails. You know, we historically we've had a lot of them. They're really not doing all that well. And there are some groups, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Sharp-Tailed Grouse Society is working on creating more habitat. And I'm probably going to be doing an interview on it upcoming soon. But with COVID and stuff last year, they were they were looking for volunteers to help do some of the lecking counts here. And I was going to, but I just was kind of a couple too far down the list. And they had people that were just going to do it all. But that is a goal of mine to get out and see some grouse lecking behavior because it sure looks very cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've said that here, too, about going out and banding woodcock and stuff. I mean, it's just such a neat thing to to get involved with. And I don't think they're usually, I think it is one of the more fun things to volunteer to do. So I don't think like anytime you're doing let counts or banding birds, it's too hard for them to get volunteers. But right. every time we talk to somebody about it, they're like, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So we, we too, we need to get involved and go out and do some more volunteer type work. You had mentioned, Leslie, you know, your family had hunted and it's obviously it's clear with sort of your career choices and like your passions now. I mean, that sounds like the natural world was kind of a, it was a, it's been a constant thread through your life. I mean, did you get, were you interested in that? Like right from the start? Ah, you know, she was a cheerleader on the high school cheerleading team, so probably not. I don't know what. (laughs) No, we all go through that kind of stuff. (laughs) It's so strange. I mean, like I liked camping and stuff, you know, like when I was a kid, and and I liked to go fishing and everything. But I had a very short attention span as well, and um, I also was an extreme girly girl for some (laughs) reason growing up, and uh, so. It's funny because if you talk to anybody that I was friends with as a kid or like I went to school with, like high school and elementary school, they will say, I never thought in a million years you would be doing this. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I can't believe this is what you're doing. But to me, that just like that is one reason why it really pushed me to get my kids involved and get them out more because sure. you know while in the southeast you know here in east tennessee maybe there were some things here that i wasn't too keen on you know uh, as in terms of like being outdoors but if we had branched out at all and went to different areas of the country or if i had been more involved in like seeing nature at work like seeing let counts or or doing not let counts but like seeing like the mating rituals and like all the different things that there are that you can just see by spending time outside I know that it would have been different for me and so um so that's why I really I don't want to say I dragged my kids outside because I think they really wanted to be out there but 
they didn't really have a choice because I was there. So they had to go with me. You were intentional about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I made sure like, I was like, well, they're going to know how to be around guns too, because that's the safest way for me. If I'm going to have guns, my kids need to be comfortable around guns. So like every Halloween after they got done with their jack-o'-lanterns, we took them out and we had a little 410 and it's like time to blow up the pumpkin, you know? <laughs> sounds stuff. like fun. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely was not how I, how I, I, I was not passionate about anything outdoors growing up, which is, yeah. okay. it's, it kind of hurts me to say it, but I don't know why. It's, it's well, just. You found it now, though. I did. Oh, yes. she she's a outdoors nut now. I mean, yeah. she, oh, as you know, Nick, she was, she went to work and, uh, uh, in January, she was in Ohio for six months. You know, yep. you talked a lot and you knew about her little deals all the time. But uh, she got to the point in Ohio where she's like, I don't want to stay in hotels. I just want to take my tent and camp. And I was like, honey, <laughs> you can't work eight hours from home and camp in a tent all the time. <laughs> I mean, she loves, she uh, she does not like being indoors now. She's all the time like, get us get out and do something. I know. And I t- so, I mean, I really do think the moral of the story is exposure. I mean, like, yeah. you don't know what you're going to love about your life and if you're not exposed to enough things, you know. And so... You just got to try it all. Yeah, no, that's good advice. What about guns for you? Did you did you shoot guns at all when you were younger, or was that something you kind of took on when you decided you want to hunt? No, we shot guns in a very redneck, ritualistic way. <laughs> Down at the gravel <laughs> <You know>? pit? <laughs> yeah, let's go put some cans up on the fence post and shoot at them or whatever. <laughs> Hey, yeah, we, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, we. So yeah, I was exposed to firearms and I'm not afraid of them, and yeah. and I respected them. You know, I mean, I feel like my parents were really good about that. Um, you know, teaching you how to hold and respect and and weapon. In fact, one thing I remember, like. We, even with toy guns, we weren't allowed to point them at each other. We weren't, you know, we were like taught taught to hold them the same way as if they were real guns and yeah. things like that. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, I, I was definitely, I, I wouldn't say I was like really into it and like wanting to like do a lot of shooting, but I was exposed to it and I was comfortable with it. You had an awareness. Yeah. 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 That's. I think Simon and I talked about that in my interview last week. I mean, sometimes if you get two bird hunters talking back, you know, you kind of just breeze over the whole firearms thing. But when you take a step back and you're talking about somebody entering the world, you know, if they have no exposure, no awareness, I mean, that's, that's not something to breeze over. No. Well, Josh, I, I think it's, I, I knew that you had grew up, grew up with setters and you have short hairs. Now I, I kind of like almost smile when I hear that's like the universe sort of balanced itself out because when I was growing <laughs> up, I didn't have bird dogs and I, I always thought I was going to get short hairs. You know, I was, I don't know if I told that when I was on your podcast, but I'd watch ESPN outdoors and stuff and German short hair, like a brown and gray liver and roan, you know, with a, with an orange collar. That was what I always envisioned as a bird dog. And somehow mm-hmm. I ended up with, with setters. And you kind of went the other way, so. You know, I think it's funny, Nate. I think it's funny. I think a lot of the of a lot of what dogs you grow up with is what area you live in, because you and I, I'm, I know we're a thousand miles apart, but yeah. you live up in a, a real grouse rich community or uh, area, which you still, you know, it's that's where everybody comes to grouse hunts up yeah. in Northwoods. So traditionally, I think setters are known to be 
you know, in the grouse woods. Well, in, in West Tennessee and middle Tennessee, everybody ran pointers and every, and there was a lot of short hairs and I never even saw a short hair until I moved out west. Yeah. But in East Tennessee, we got grouse. And so a lot of people here in yep, a lot yeah, of setters. So I that's kind of, if you're, if you grow up around grouse, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of people hunt setters in that area. Yeah. But I, I still love setters. I just, Nick, I'm not a, I'm not a dog, um, a breed specific. Uh, I don't turn my nose up at other breeds, but I, I, I'll tell you, I just like a dog that does it and does it well. I don't care. Hey dude, if I could take a dang, uh, uh, a pit bull out and if he worked birds and, and pointed and held birds and done it right, I'd throw him on the ground. So I just like a good bird dog and a personable dog. And I like a personable dog. Yeah. Yeah. They are family. They're so, I mean, they of course have their, you've got tendencies within breeds and stuff. And sometimes it's just like the way we talk about it. You sort of have to paint broad strokes when you're talking about Mm -hmm. breeds, but man, they're so individual and unique and, and within the, each of the major like hunting breeds, you know, there's so much diversity as far as like, you know, you can kind of really find, you, you can choose what you, what you think looks good and then go mm-hmm. dive into that breed and, and find the right breeder. I mean, there's a lot of diversity in bird dogs. Yeah. There's a lot of good there, ones. There is. And, and really what, what, what got me to wanting short hairs is I just got tired of going to getting the birds myself. I'm just kidding, Nick. <laughs> I am just kidding. Hey. I mean, I I don't take any offense to that. My dogs, Rose is Rose is showing much more tendency to be a retriever, and you know, let's be honest here. I'm an amateur trainer, and there's some things that I could have done to probably coax more out of it that I haven't done. But they're not uh, they're not robots when it comes to going and they're great at finding, you know, hunting dead. So you know, mm-hmm. I, that's my justification. But mm-hmm. but no, I absolutely appreciate a dog that goes out and retrieves the bird. You know, the last the last setter I had was a uh, was was a Grouse Ridge dog. He was a Grouse Ridge bred setter, and so he was a tricolor male, probably fifty five pounds. The, he, he was actually a great retriever. He would retrieve. I mean, he was yeah. natural. You know, I didn't yeah. have to force fetch. I've trained a lot of bird dogs in my life, but I didn't have to force fetch that dog. So I mean, he was a natural retriever. There's yeah. and and now to be honest with you, I've got a short hair right now that don't like to retrieve. Love to retrieve until she was seven eight months old. And it was it was my fault because uh, I was so hyped up by her natural ability of pointing, holding. I mean, this dog would would hold steady to shot at seven months old, and I was just the retrieving was on the back burner because I knew she's a short hair. She's going to retrieve. I didn't have to fool that well. I got in my training. My training's what took it out of her. I, I'm going to put it back in her, which yeah. won't be hard because she's got it. But what I done, Nick, and if if people is that Octa. That you're talking yep, about? that's Octa. Okay. Yep, that's Octa. She, um, if you're, if people's out there training their own bird dogs, listen to this real quick. If you're training a bird dog as a puppy, let that dog carry that bird around in its mouth. Let that dog be proud of what it's done. I, I was so hyper focused on her point pointing abilities and her holding abilities. I would, when I was shooting training birds, Nick, I would take that bird out of her mouth before she even got back to me and on to the next bird. I made that dog think bird, bird, bird instead of retrieve, bird, retrieve, bird, retrieve, yeah. bird. I'm it just was more, take it out of your mouth. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah. I, and, and so I took that out of her, but I can put it back in her. So I'm not really worried. I've just been getting her polished up where she needs to be. You saw videos of her. Um, yeah. I mean, how she's, old is Octa now? She just turned two. 
just turned two. Okay, so she's had a season or two of hunting. She's got. She's had. She's had two seasons. Her first puppy season, season she was, and then last year. Yeah. Yep, her puppy okay. season, and then last year, and uh, she's just. She never ceases to amaze me. She's she, fun to hunt with. The she's thing so I like. Reliable. The thing I love about Octon. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here on a, on a specific dog or a, a dog, but. The thing I, I love want to about, talk about her because I saw that video and yeah. She well, the, the the thing I love about Octa and it's she's got it between the ears and that's where a lot of bird dogs lack. They've got the natural ability, but they don't. She's got gears. You can you can take Octa in the North Woods and she's going to run 60, 70 yards, just cut everything up and just slam yeah. these grouse. I mean, her nose, she's got a cannon for a nose. But like you know, I was up at Tyler's last week in North Dakota. Yep. Turn around on the prairies, three or 400 yards cool she knows when to go where she's at so she's just she's got it between the ears you know a lot of bird dogs and i've had them myself they're either what i would say a grouse dog or they're a big running bird dog and it's hard to find the in-between you got some in-betweens but it's real hard to find that dog that that knows how to gear way up or the dog that knows how to gear way down and and she does that and that's and it's uh and she's not one of a kind it's the line that she came from um yeah I'm gonna give my breeder a shout out on here, John Prince of Prince's Quality Gun Dogs in Kansas. I've seen a lot of short hairs, but man, I've just—he's got dogs that have brains, and it's not the only dog in the litter that done that. Every litter he has, it seems like that his dogs are just real consistent. His breeding program is very consistent, and if anybody's looking for a short hair, you know, I, I would definitely give John a call. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, you're kind of getting me excited to maybe. Get to watch Octa in the grouse woods this fall. Hey, we're coming up. Uh, what we going? <laughs> Actually, we've changed our plans, Nick. Uh, this really? is a newsflash for you. Yeah, we were supposed to come up. I told you the fifteenth. We're going to come up the week before. We came up last. We came up last year, the first weekend of uh, October, and hunted the first week of October. So this week, we're actually going to move it back and come up the second week of October. I think we're coming up the whatever it is the the second week of October. I'm yeah, not yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm just trying to utilize that. She's trying to utilize the free day off work, Columbus Day. Oh, Columbus Day, yeah. Yeah, she said, why don't we just go up that week? Yeah, Yeah. she said, why don't we just come up that week? So that's what we're going to do. But I think baby's going to be old enough now that you you might get (laughs) away for a day or two. Yeah, but one of the topics topics on today's show, what to expect when you're expecting. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) I don't know if the listeners know this or not, but Nick's baby is due today. today. Nick, Nick, Nick called me last night and said you want to do a podcast tomorrow and i looked at leslie and i was like dude his baby's due tomorrow he's like she's got a doctor's appointment tomorrow so we're gonna find out how it goes and we're super excited so i told nick i said i've got we've got a couple of podcasts lined up today i told nick last night i said dude you got to give me a live up to date or a minute to minute <laughs> yeah. update on this baby because i'm gonna do a live he's update gonna on be concerned about i'm sure <laughs> i'm gonna do live updates on our josh podcast. Yes. there you go <laughs> Wait, honey, don't progress. I need to let Josh know where you're at. Yeah, I'm kind of sort of a, you know, you don't know what to do with yourself, really. I've been, yeah. It's been leading up to it all week. I've been keeping busy, getting a lot of work done, which has been good. It's it's late August, and we all know what's around the corner, and obviously I will uh, we will have a lot going on here at the Larson household, which we're very excited about. But, yeah, now today is the due date, and you guys said tomorrow's your anniversary. Lacey and I's anniversary is on September 7th, so... Lots of uh, a lot of fun, happy stuff going on. There is That's my cool. birthday, September tenth. So, oh, nice, nice. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about grouse hunting in Tennessee when you were growing up. Just kind of like 
not necessarily a deep dive, but like you recall obviously going when you were younger, but do you recall some, cause I've heard you talk about this, but some good, good grouse hunting back then. And obviously you've seen, seen what's happened to it today. Just kind of walk us through that a little bit. You know, Nick, I've, I, I tell everybody, everybody's like, you know, what's the grouse hunting like around Tennessee? I remember Nick getting out of the truck, closing the door and grouse flushing. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a common story here. Actually. It is. I kind of get, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. I get emotional about it, but I remember, I you know, imagine. my dad and my grandfather taking me out and it wasn't anything to kill two or three grouse a day, you know, and seeing, I'm not going to give you exact numbers, but you know, a good day, you know, 12, 14 flushes a day and our woods our, well, our, our timber doesn't get logged like it used to. Our, our yeah. forest management program, um, is way, way subpar, I'm going to say, but yeah, Nick, we used to go, I live on, like I said, the Tennessee river and we used to have enough grouse where they would come down to lake level elevations and our lakes, not in the high mountains. Um, we used to have a lot of paperwood company here. Like y'all have international paper company, yep. all that up there. Yep. We used to have a lot of paper company land here and it was Bowwaters, uh, which was the paper company that we used to have. And they'd done a lot. They had a real active force management program on their paper company land. You, you know, they, they harvested, harvested uh, timber yep. here just like they did in the Northwoods nowadays. And we would have grouse literally basically in the lowlands. And, and now it's, we went from seeing 12, 14 flushes a day and, you know, killing a couple of birds a day to we went one day last year. Of course, everybody knows I keep beating this. I broke my foot January the 10th last year. I think every podcast I've ever been on knows I broke my foot. But anyway, did you do that again? Oh, it was letting that Walking. darn puppy out. Letting the <laughs> darn puppy out. Oh my God. Yes. I earth got in my way, but, uh, I broke my foot January 10th, so we didn't get the grouse. Our grouse season runs all the way to February 20th, actually yeah. January 31st here. Our bird season goes to February 28th, but our grouse season stops in January. But I didn't get to uh, – and January is our the best month to grouse hunt here. But anyways, now, Nick, if you go grouse hunting where we are, four or five flushes a day on a good day. And, well, yeah, if you know where to go, four or five flushes a day. But I pulled the trigger on one bird last year. Yeah, I went. I just, of course, we went. What? I saw one bird last year. I joke about it all the time. Well, not you know, not that it's funny, but I'm like, yeah, we got to go see that bird we didn't kill. Yeah, it, because like I, I mean, it's it's pretty depressing because yeah. the potential is there if we could do a better job with timber management in this area. And I, the forest management plan actually is probably. A pretty decent plan it's just executing the plan yeah. and i think that you know if, yeah. if if people's feet could be held to the fire um on what the plans are and actually like getting the work done i think we could see like some great yeah. improvement we it we i went last year i'm just gonna be straight up honest with you i went i think one day last year here local and like i said we shot at one bird um there's pockets of timber on private land that adjoins national forest that local loggers have harvested. So if you really put your boots on the ground, now you've got to put your boots on the ground here in Tennessee, you can go grouse hunting if you know where to go and, and still get four or five flushes today and get a shot, you know, get a shot at a bird. 
as a matter of fact, I was going to say, I, I've talked to Travis Frank about uh, coming down and doing a casting blast. We have a world-class fishery here um, on the Teleco River that they actually do what they call a delayed harvest program where we will take our brood stock out of the hatcheries and release them into a, a stream up here starting October, I think it's October 1st, and they will release through, I think, February the 1st. And these are world-class rainbows, uh albino rainbows and these when i say world class i'm talking 28 to 32 35 inch wow. trout that's 10 to yeah 8 to 10 12 pounds monsters and you're fishing yeah. in a foot of water with a fly rod it's it's Jeez. amazing but yes yeah. that's uh we've got we've got you know a few grass yeah yeah when you go when you go hunt say february late january february are you getting into woodcock or are you pretty much, you're just kind of bucking up and saying, I hope to flush a grouse today and that's it. You know, Nick, when I was saying I went grouse hunting one time last year, that is truly grouse hunting in the high, high elevations. Okay. Now we got a lot of woodcock here and I spent a lot of time, I spend a lot of time every year hunting woodcock. That's what we hunt because you know, our, our quail numbers are, it's about like our grouse, but yeah. our woodcock is a, is a migrating bird as everybody knows, just like ducks. And um, and and doves and everything else, but anyways, we got a lot of woodcock on the Tennessee River. Uh, we get, we got a lot of uh, I guess you would call it wetland areas, and we spend a lot of time uh, woodcock hunting. So between my Kansas runs every year, my UP runs or out west runs or back to Kansas, we do a lot of woodcock hunting here. So yeah, and I think there's no better bird bird to train your dog on than a woodcock. Well, even when Love we're not woodcock. hunting them, um, like. What there's like a period of time you can run the dogs on them. Yeah, yeah, we've got training. Yeah, we can. Yeah, we can train. We've got a split season, just like everybody on or a lot of people down south on the the woodcock. Our season comes in for a few weeks, closes, and then opens back up. So yeah, during that split, I it seems like during that split is when they're all here though. But during that split, (laughs) we just run without we run without guns, and it's 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 I love training on wild woodcock or woodcock. They're just yeah best thing ever yeah a lot of areas they're they're sort of the most plentiful bird and they Mm -hmm. do they do have a level of well it's not cooperation on their part but they they do work well for (laughs) getting pointing dogs and stuff trained yeah for sure you you mentioned it what does a woodcock hunt in tennessee look like as far as habitat what am i looking at kind of lowlands river corridors where you're hunting a lot of um a flooded timber and then when I say flooded timber, I'm not saying flooded timber as in duck hunting like flooded timber. Arkansas I'm talking about, tim- yeah. yeah, I'm not talking about that. We got a lot of uh, uh, backwaters here. And what happens is it's uh, it's natural wetlands. Even during the dead of the summer, you know, it's it's moist. And so that ground's real fertile. Uh, it's no- normally real black soil. Um, you're hunting basically on the edge of a lake. And not just a lake, all of our lakes are, you know, are like this up down the Tennessee River. So you're hunting the edge, the inside edge of a lot of cattails that back up to a lot of uh, early succession. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's super flat. People look as East Tennessee, the Smoky Mountains is straight up and down. But when you get to woodcock hunting on our lakes, it's. Not as demanding. Yeah, it's not as demanding. It's, it's flat and it's fun. And, and a good day down here, Nick, woodcock hunting is eight or 10 flushes. Okay. Yep. Will you be putting up? Will you put up some snipe and stuff on the edge of those marshes? Um, we have a few snipe. We don't have any rails, but we have a few snipe. Most of the snipe are more of a, a little east of here. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I don't like. I always know 
just from growing up looking at the hunting regulations, they always list snipe and rails. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I could identify a rail. I don't know that I've – maybe I've seen one, but I don't know what – I mean, I can identify a snipe, but – Yeah, well, I I can't – I probably couldn't identify one on the wing versus – they are a little smaller bird, I think. Are they similar to a, a snipe? They, they're similar to a snipe, but they don't have the big – long woodcock or snipe beak the the rails the rails i think it's about half the length of it's long because they're a you know they're a tuber earthworm type feeding bird but uh they like i said i couldn't if if one come up i'd probably shoot it for a woodcock because i couldn't (laughs) because i couldn't distinguish it on the wing the difference yeah well you did just get back from North Dakota and you and Tyler kind of talked about that quite a bit. We don't have to go into that too much, but tell me about your first trip running up to the prairie and running on prairie grouse and huns. What was that like for you? Oh, oh, it was awesome. They said, go North. It'll be cool. And I got there and it was 103. Yeah, Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> I got there. Uh, I, I drove it's 20, 26 and a half hours to Tyler's from my house. That's a haul. Six, 1600 miles. So I left last Saturday morning and I drove until uh, at, I left last Saturday morning at five o'clock and got there on, or actually stopped driving Sunday morning at one o'clock and was still six hours away. So, but no, Jeez. I had a, I had a good trip. It was, it was very hot. Like I said, the 103, the first two days and then like 96 or 94, the third day, but it started cooling down and you know how it is in the Dakotas, much like Minnesota, probably you can have drastic swings in the temperatures in, in yeah. you know, in one day. So the middle of the week got cooler and we we got out running and uh North Dakota and hunting sharp tails are different than anything I've ever done. You don't look for edges like you do bob whites or right. or huns, even huns. Huns and bob whites are to me they the hunt exactly the same. Um but sharp tails it takes a minute. I'm going to say a minute. It takes a a while, a day or two to find the the grasses that they want to be in, uh, what needs to be in the grasses, you know, how high the grasses need to be, what kind of berries to look for. But once you find it, it's, you know, and I guess it's just being a bird hunter. Once you, it's kind of like bass fishing. I tell everybody, once you uh, sustain or once you establish a pattern of where these birds are living, what they're living in. Um, yeah, it's, it, they're, they're different because they don't flush in the covey. And yeah. Octa, and of course Octa is real steady. The first, uh, the the first birds I uh, pointed with Octa, she actually watched one flush, and she looked at me. I, she didn't look at me, but she was probably thinking, "Okay, is this the only thing here?" And then they, you know, the popcorn flush. The rest of them start coming up. But um, the sharp tails, it's I like it. It teaches a dog to always be aware of where it's at, not just on yeah. the edges. Yeah. Um, that's one thing I noticed about sharp tail is. I actually saw Octa almost turn a flip to point her first sharp tail because she wasn't used to birds being right out in the middle of an open grass field. And so she was running across the field to hit an edge. And when she ran across, she just wheeled around on point and she was basically right on top of the bird. Yep. And luckily that sharp tail held and that, and you know, that taught the dog, you know, this is a know your dog moment right here that taught the dog. Hey, I need to be aware of where I'm at at all times up here hunting these things, not just on the edges. So I had a ball. We, I think I told you, I talked to you that on a Wednesday evening, I hunted for 38 minutes and, and got up 10 sharp tails and two, two coveys of hunts in 38 minutes. That's fun. That's a bird rich environment. I was extremely jealous. Hey, somebody (laughs) had to be responsible. Extremely. (laughs) Pay the bills. 
<laughs> Pay the bills. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've, he would send me videos, and which is always fun to see the dogs. But um, at the same time, I was like trying to fight the urge to jump in the vehicle and like take off myself. <laughs> Leslie, Leslie's hooked on pheasants. It's because I'm sure Leslie hasn't shot a lot of pheasants. She loves pheasants. If it pheasants to me is like third or fourth down on the bottom because to me <laughs> pheasants are I'm not gonna say pheasants are easy to kill, but they're not easy to kill. It was funny. We was in Kansas last year and a buddy of mine, Jeff Prendergast, he's the wildlife small games coordinator for the Kansas uh wildlife parks and tourism department or however you say their big long acronym. Um he was out there and pointing pheasants with pointing dogs are there it, it's tricky. But Jeff came, Jeff came with us one day, and he just turned his lab loose, and there was pheasants everywhere. And I was like, wow. And he's, like, talking about his uh, lab. And I said, yeah, I'm going to get me a flusher. I said, I, that was pretty fun. I said, I have come to realize one thing, though. All you got to have in a flushing dog is something that stays out in front of you and, and runs through the weed and makes noises. And I said, that's how you kill those pheasants. He said, hey, now. He said, I put a lot of training in that flusher dog. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, killing pheasants to me is just – I like, don't get me wrong, I love to shoot pheasants, but I love those covey flushes. Man, that's... Well, I like pheasant hunting because, like, I felt like as a group of hunters, it was a fun thing to do because it was very strategic, you know? Like, we would, like, get a plan. You know, we'd all get together. We'd get a plan. Everybody would go where they needed to go. And we had a plan for the dogs. And to me, it seemed like the plan always worked. And, like, whether it meant that somebody actually killed one or not, I saw birds flushing. And so, like, to me, it's not always just, like, of course I want to kill a bird, right? But to me, it's still a good day if I see dogs work and I see birds flush. And I wish I could relive the moment she killed her first pheasant, Nick. That was that was awesome. She, You thought she was a six-year-old girl that just, like... Won some cheerleading competition. She was jumping and hooping and hollering. She well, let's it. try to relive it here on the podcast. Tell me about it. Maybe we well, should have Leslie tell it. There you go. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna trash talk Brian for a minute. That's our hunting <laughs> buddy that goes with us a lot. So Brian is our is our good buddy, and Brian can't help himself. He has to shoot at everything. He, Josh is like different. Like Josh. I don't know. Josh is good about like you can hunt with Josh, and he'll decide to just not shoot at anything he just wants to see like me or brian or whoever like hunt some too you know and brian is a lot like me i think so i can't say too much about it he (laughs) you know he is like pumped up and ready to go and oh his fingers on the trigger and i just don't think you can like (laughs) that's not proper gun safety and so yeah (laughs) and for somebody as short as he is, those little legs get it down there across the field, too. And so, like, I'm, like, trying to keep up with him because I'm, like, he's going to beat me to it and he's going to shoot at the bird, you know. And so this one particular time, I mean, this is after Brian has already shot, like, three, maybe? Yeah, like, he yeah he probably Like, he shot. was just getting every opportunity. And, and I was like, man, this sucks. And so then we went into this one field. And, I mean, we had just started into it. And 20 yards. Yeah. And uh, there were several came up and Brian was right there near me. I think Brian shot, but did Brian get one too? I don't know if he killed one too. Or that. I don't, I don't know if he did or not. I can't remember, but because there were more than one at the time, more than one rooster, 
I got to shoot when Brian shot too. And so like, and I have to say too, like my gun had been acting up and her slicker was messed up on her over and under. Yeah. And I kept telling Josh like, and this is all his fault. I'm going to blame him hundred percent. We've been married a year now and it's time. Everything (laughs) is his fault. Um, (laughs) So when we were in Michigan, you know, the gun was messing up in Michigan and he was like, I think you're just not giving yourself enough time to reset, you know? And I was like, man, I cannot fire off two shots. And then it would, it would fire off two shots and then it wouldn't. And so I really thought like something was wrong with me and I was going to have to like figure out what my problem was. And so then, you know, we assume that it was operator error and we go to Kansas and it's doing it again. And at this time we still haven't figured it out yet because I shot it with my CZ and I do love that gun. And I want to say that CZ took the gun. They fixed the issue right away and sent it back to me and I haven't had a problem since. But, um, so anyway, it was when we got on quail, but, oh, well, back to the pheasant Yeah, story. back to the pheasant story. So, so I <laughs> shoot it. I got a rooster. I probably screamed and hollered and carried on. We might've had to go have a beverage and a picture moment. She, she's, <laughs> she's leaving out something here that I want to add. When we, we drove by this place, it's a field that we had never hunted and it was Weehaw. It was walk-in public access yeah. in Kansas. And when I drove by, it was a cut field that had been cut for a while, but there was a drain. There was a drain right up through the middle of the field. And I told Leslie and Brian, I said, they will be right there. Yeah. And so we pull on up the road, probably 150 yards. So we're, you know, quiet and blah, blah, blah. We walk back down the road and the dogs get in here, literally Nick, probably 20 yards into this drain, which actually ran right to the road. It was a, it was a plum thicket that was in the middle of that drain. And I got on one side. Leslie was in the middle, actually. And Brian was on the opposite side. And we get in this drain, and pheasants just started. I mean, it's people look at, at Weehaw land in Kansas like, eh, there's no pheasants in Kansas. We got in this drain. Pheasants started just pouring out of it. I don't I don't remember how many we counted. A bunch. Yeah, a bunch. But anyways, Brian and I, I think Brian and I both shot a pheasant. And there was one pheasant. And I remember it just like it was yesterday. He came up. She did. This is the part she left out. The pheasant came up, and when he came up, instead of going straight out in front of us like the rest of the pheasants did, Lacey, you were standing in the road when you shot. Oh, and I swung around. Was you standing in the road? No, I was in the field, but I had. I think I had to. Yeah, you was in the field. She was. Yeah, that's what it was. Is I was in the middle of the thicket because she couldn't get through it. But anyways, this bird came up and swung right back over our heads. It's the only bird that done it, and it was a big old cock rooster. I mean, he had. Lord of mercy, he had a huge tail on him. And Leslie swings around, and her CZ actually fired twice. It it doubled. It it no. It actually when she pulled the trigger, that was the problem she'd been having with her gun. She couldn't, couldn't get two get shots off. Shots. And I thought she yeah. was trying to quick fire it without letting the trigger reset. Yeah. But yep. the selector was messed up. It was only shooting the top barrel. Oh. So yeah, it wouldn't fire the top barrel. And but I'm not gonna lie. Like I'm I'm much better now. Like I'm shooting much better. Oh, yeah, We've done a lot that. of shooting since then. But um, I, it was pretty typical for my first shot to be more of an Annie Oakley shot, and so that's why I really bad needed that second shot. Because- and when that when that bird came back over our heads, I swung around on it and was fixing to pull the trigger. And I seen Leslie, boom. And on her second shot, the bird piled up right in the middle of the road. That's what it did. It fell right in the middle of the road. Uh, 
and she ran up there. It was like I was so I got emotional, I guess. I was but extremely happy. I, we was all tickled to death for her, and she knew that she had shot. She's like, "Did anybody else shoot? Did anybody else shoot?" She said, yeah, "Are you sure I killed this bird?" Was, and I was, I was like, like I, "Am I you? even gonna know when I kill one? Because right. Brian's gonna shoot at everything, <laughs> Brian." <laughs> Um, you know that spot. Now that we're talking about it, after we we kept walking through there after and got that, up a huge cubby of quail, a bunch of quail, yeah, in the yeah. same little ditch, probably a hundred yards above the other. Cool. Yeah, that was a good day. It was a. I mean, I have to say though, every day out there, we saw a lot of birds. Mm-hmm, we and, shot a lot, but anyway, the quail Killed is what what when we finally I got sick of the gun situation and I traded off with Josh. Yep. and sure enough, like he was like, "You're right." Yeah, she got my gun. She it couldn't hit nothing because she was just getting one shot. She was, I mean, she'd hit a bird every once in a while. But she said, swap guns. Or I, no, I just said, let me have that gun. I'm tired of you. I'm tired of you complaining about it not firing because I still thought it was her fault. I did not know the gun was messed up. So I gave her my Frankie. And the first covey of birds that we got up with that Frankie in Kansas, we was on the edge of a canyon or a, yeah, it was a canyon, yeah. uh, a, a, a big old canyon. The octave was pointed right on the top lip of that canyon mm-hmm. and the birds were way off. Well, Brian swung down low and the birds come up over top of us. And I just said to myself, I said, I don't see how she can shoot right here. I'm going to see if she can, if she can hit anything. So I shot, I think I killed two birds real quick. Well, about that time they were over where she was and she shot a double first thing with my gun. Boom, boom. And that's on quail. And I was like, I was like, oh, girl, it is the gun's fault. <laughs> and so since then, I mean, she shot a bunch of doubles on Covey Rises. That's she can cool. shoot. She can shoot. I'm getting better. She's getting yeah, She's getting good. Well, it sure sounds like it. Do you shoot targets and stuff in the offseason, or do you just go to Top Golf? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been shooting a lot of clays. Like yeah, every we chance to, we get, mm-hmm. we go and shoot clays. And, for, and, I mean, that's helped me tremendously because um, – you know, like I'm a rifle shooter. Yeah, shotgun. That's the other thing. You know, I mean, shotguns. It's not that I never shot one. I really, honestly, never hunted with one though. And and so, so shot the shotgun thing is a new thing for me. Um, I'm used to like precision shooting from long distance, and now it's a completely different animal. Yeah. And no pun intended. And so, like. I'm starting to get the natural feel for it. I mean, the thing about me is that, like, I can be overly instructed. And, and so, like, Josh gives – he's great at – I mean, I don't want to give him a big head or anything. But, I mean, like, <laughs> he's really good at – he's very patient. And he's and he will watch me shoot and tell me what's happening. And it used to bug me and make me – really mad because I'm a very competitive person and I would get angry because I'd be like, why can't I do this? And everything he's telling me is what I'm doing wrong. But he was right. And once I like knocked the chip off my shoulder and I started listening to him and then yeah. coupled that with just like my natural, just going with my natural instinct. Cause that was the second part. Once I started listening to him and doing the things he was telling me to do, then I had to get that feel for it and just start trusting myself. And so like the last couple of times we've gone and shot clays, like I've done way better. I think, I, I like, think the way, way I, I think what I've done that she really, that made her and a, a lot of gun instructors, shooting instructors will do the same thing. Did I take the bead off my Frank and tell you to shoot it without a bead? <sighs> just look at the target and pull the trigger. 
because I've done that with a lot of people, you know, the people that uh, has a trouble shooting. I'll I take my Franke's got that. a magnetic bead that I can take yeah. off and I'll take it off and I'll say, shoot this without this. bead. they're like, you can't shoot without a bead. I said, that's the reason you're missing the target. You're aiming at that target. I yeah. said, just look down the barrel, get it mounted naturally. I said, just look at what you're shooting at, swing through it and pull the trigger. And that's, that's the way that, you know, that's why I was taught. It, you know, I shoot like, totally in, instinctive. It is so, um, it was just, it's so different to shoot, to shoot a, sh- a shotgun, to shoot a target or to shoot a, you know, a bird or whatever versus shooting a rifle. It's just yeah. completely different. And so it's almost like I had to like throw a lot of stuff out the window and just start, you know, start over. But um, I'm getting there and I'm really excited. I think um, this season is just going to be way different. I mean, even with turkey hunting this year, it was like way more comfortable. I was confident and I knew, I knew that given the opportunity, something was going to die. Yeah. (laughs) Well, certainly sounds like you're well on your way and you're you're already turned into quite a bird shot. So, well, let's, we're going to finish up here. I don't know what time your other interviews are today, Josh, but I'm, uh, I'm kind of eager to hear Oh, I'm sure you are today. <laughs> yes, you are. You got to have your priorities straight. Fingers crossed for an August birthday here. But what, uh, Leslie? What hunt are you most excited for this year? Uh, Kansas. I really loved Kansas last year, and now that I feel a little more experienced and a little more prepared and ready, and I know what to expect, I'm I'm super pumped for Kansas. And we have a video camera. And some GoPros and and I, some of the funniest things that I like the funny stuff. I like to talk about the funny things that happen and like yeah. relive the conversations and everything because like hunting with Josh and Brian is like so much fun. And so I'm I hope we get a lot of that like stuff. I get I hope we get a lot of the the good stuff on camera because like I get so pissed off at Josh and when it's and Brian gets pissed off and then Josh gets pissed off and and then we laugh so hard when it's over like so I'm just really excited too not just for the hunt but to see what kind of like camaraderie. Oh, the stuff we can capture that we can like laugh about and share with other people. I'm just yeah. It's exciting to think about. Yeah, Josh and I, we talked a little bit about the cameras, and that's definitely something that I, I experimented last December, and I'm I'm all in as far as GoPro, and I'm planning to use that a lot this year. Just, man, there's just between dog work and funny stuff, you know, the GoPros have come such a long way. Like, I'm excited about kind of keeping that visual journal mm-hmm. of sorts. I have to send you a – I found a – last year I wore just the regular old GoPro headband strap. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a lot going on up on your hat. I found a new – mount that you actually kind of install it into your hat but it's lightweight and oh you just as long as you got your hat on straight you know the camera's set mm-hmm. up well um i'll send you some pictures of it it's pretty cool yeah um, same i think that's going to be a lot more wearable than the other one this year but josh what mm-hmm. are you looking forward to uh my next bird hunt no matter where it's at <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> no i'm actually uh man i love i love grouse hunting yeah I, I'm looking forward to coming to the UP. Um, historically, I've only hunted the UP last year was my first time. We've been, I went to Michigan for a long time, or not Michigan, but Wisconsin for a long time and got a lot of stuff over there. But I love to grouse hunt just because mainly I like watching those dogs work those grouse. I love watching dog work in the grouse woods. It's, yeah. it's pretty cool. But, you know, don't. I'm excited for that too. Don't, I, I'm excited for, uh, we're, 
I mean, the correct answer to, is all of them, but <laughs> all of them. But now we're supposed to make a western swing, and hopefully that'll happen this year. Uh, we're going hopefully to back to where she's from, Wyoming. So uh, if they're very bird rich, holy smoke! I mean, they so that would be a, that would be a new adventure for you. That would be a new yeah. adventure for the both of us. Yeah, and you can shoot everything out there from rough grouse, blue grouse, chucker. You have a lot of variety. Uh, everything, yeah. Yeah, I'm just excited for cooler weather and living off meat and cheese sticks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and beer. Yes. And, hey, I brought. I, I may or may not have brought 150 dollars worth of cheese home from Wisconsin this week. <laughs> <laughs> good for you, good man, with, good man. With, with with a with a with a bottle of Amodium uh, uh, AD. No, no, I don't need Amodium for <laughs> oh cheese. God. What is it? It no. stops you up. What no, is you it? need some fiber. Yeah, I need some fiber. Yeah, yeah. some yeah. Metamucil. Fiber con there, pappy. <laughs> yes, yes, psyllium husk. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, we're not going to end it without giving you guys a chance to tell us a little bit about the Wing Addiction podcast. And folks, maybe have heard it or not, but what do you got going on? And what can we look forward to? It's a straight up fun. We try to be funny all the time, uh, and it, we don't try to be funny. We're just we. It's just the way we are. Can't we help just have ourselves. we just have a lot of fun. We joke and cut up. We 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 do a lot of interviews uh, with you know different biologists and different dog trainers and this that and the other and different podcast hosts. But uh, if you look looking for a podcast where you can laugh, you you can hopefully not be bored and listen to the whole thing. Um, check out the Wing Addiction podcast. Leslie and I, we host them all. Now she's home full-time working here. We can we can put out a lot more. We try to do one a week, and we try to release. We used to release on Mondays, but now we release on Fridays. Um, our podcast has taken off, and I don't know why, but the past <laughs> month I keep telling her, I said, I don't know why, but dude, our downloads nothing are – nothing good on TV. Yeah, right we, used to, we used to have X amount of downloads a month, and now we're getting out a day, and I keep showing her. It's like, dude, look at these downloads. And she's like, wow. And, and we so, get messages from people. I mean, it's so neat. Like the stuff, the feedback that we get, like, is – it's just really neat to have I think them say, of, they'll hone in on one little thing you say that you totally oh, yeah. forgot you said, you know? And so, I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, our podcast is kind of for the the less serious listener, I think, a lot of times. Yeah. Because we do very little preparation. We kind of just, like, fly by the seat of our pants and just let what happens happen. And mm-hmm. sometimes that can be great, and sometimes... Oh, there's a lot of train Maybe wrecks. Not so great, no, there's but... a lot of train wrecks. No, there is a lot yeah, of train wrecks. Yeah, but you know, for us, it's not, you know, it's something we enjoy doing, and that's the number one reason we do it. And then um, the interaction with other people and being able to like build um, more of a community with other hunters is the next reason I would say. So yeah. Well, I'm glad that we got both of you on here today because I've I've been a listener to the Wing Addiction podcast, and I would argue that this episode of the Project Dolphin podcast has been a pretty good example of of kind of the rapport and and the camaraderie over on the Wing Addiction show. So folks Mm -hmm. enjoyed this episode. I think they will definitely enjoy yours. And I think with that, we will wrap it up. I want to thank both of you, Josh and Leslie, for taking some time to join me today while I'm anxiously awaiting some other big events. And mm-hmm. uh, congrats on your anniversary tomorrow. And Thank we've got you. all kinds of stuff Thank to look you. forward to with hunting season. And I can't wait. Hopefully uh, hopefully our paths are going to cross in the woods this fall. And it'll be fun, man. Yes, sir. And hopefully, uh, I'm being selfish here, but maybe... Now, what is your little boy's name going to be? You 
are not going to find out yet. <laughs> oh, I was trying to trick you. I was trying to trick you, Nick. <laughs> almost, almost. <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully, he will be born tomorrow on our anniversary. So we'll always maybe remember when he was born. Maybe if I say it, maybe if I say it, the universe will acknowledge, and then he'll show up today. There you go. Yeah. No, I'm not well, you that. can say it off air. Yeah, yeah there yes. you go. But no, yes. Well, hopefully, our paths will cross. We're supposed to come out and grouse hunting yeah. a couple of days together this this fall, and can't wait till that happens. Awesome. Well, thank you again, both. That's Josh and Leslie from the Wing Addiction Podcast. That does it for this episode of the show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Project Upland Podcast. That does it for this episode of the show. A quick reminder that the Project Upland Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, CZ USA, Garmin, Sage and Breaker, and Dakota 283. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe or follow the show in your podcast app. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.